Salutations. This is the Untitled Josh Cast, episode number 51. My name is Josh Gershman. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and co-Josh, Josh Hammond. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our weekly podcast of pop culture, news, politics, or whatever else we feel like talking about. To interact with the show and for updates on future episodes and other fun stuff, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at JoshCastPod. You can also catch us weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Untitled JoshCast. If you would like to support the show, you can subscribe to us on Twitch using your Amazon Prime account or via a regular subscription or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Untitled JoshCast. Now, back to the show. On today's episode, we are going to talk all about technology that has been predicted by popular culture, um, namely the flying cars of the episodes of this very episode's title, but also um, I have a list here of like a dozen things. I didn't I didn't number them. It's an unordered. It's an it's an unnumbered list. Unnumbered. That's not a word. It is. Uh, it's a list with the, it's a list of things. I have a list of things, Josh. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's not numbered. It's, it's going to be fine. I will often make lists one to see. Yeah. So I think it's totally fine. Okay. As I was saying, we're going to talk about lots of technology things that were predicted by things in popular culture that certainly at the time were probably like wild and outrageous. And that now in, in 2021, I almost said 2020, that's where my head's at today, uh, are just like a regular part of our lives. And some things that I wish were more parts of our lives, but we'll get to that later. Um, you and I are both pretty, pretty tech savvy people. Um, you for the podcast listeners at home are wearing a NASA shirt. I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. Both of those two things will make an appearance in this episode. Um, but yeah, I would say I would consider us pretty, pretty tech savvy folks and certainly think people, we are certainly interested in the franchises of the things in which these popular culture inventions have been kind of like imagined, um, then they obviously went and took hold elsewhere. I'm going to start with the first thing on my list here. This is in no particular order. And then your job in this episode is to tell us about the long and glorious history of the flying car in popular culture. Um, you're nodding. There's a cat on you. The cat is also a part of this episode. Hi, Chubbs. He uh, unplugged the microphone for a second, which oh. is why I was giving you the keep talking figure. Okay, that's good to know. Um, Chubbs the Cat is also a, a key, well, it's just a key part of the podcast in general. Um, and today is very interested in this future technology. The first thing on the list, I think one of the things that's that's um, very much taken for granted is a cell phone, like a, a handheld, portable, wireless communicator, which is something that um, you know, Star Trek made popular in the 60s. And then the Star Trek kind of franchise um, expanded on what the communicators looked like and felt like and sounded like and what kind of functionality they had. Um, but obviously that made its way into real life. Uh, Motorola first introduced a wire, like a, a cellular phone of some kind in 1973 and then it if they officially made it like onto the market in 1983 that was like the big the, totally dating myself the zach morris cell phone from saved by the bell like that's like that's like the level of cell phone we're talking about um can i i got a quick wait i got a quick story for you when i was in college in this was so this was in the early 2000s uh me and my classmates were waiting in the hallway before a class and at this time, so like in the early 2000s, cell phones obviously existed. My cell phone of choice was a big Nokia brick phone. And my big Nokia brick phone had a flame battery cover. I thought it was the coolest thing anyone had ever seen. It was the coolest phone ever. But it was not that much bigger than like my current iPhone. Um, you know, it was like cell phones, the size of cell phones 
post Zach Morris era, they all they, they have stayed roughly around the same size. There are some obviously much bigger. There are some that are smaller, but they're lar- they're generally around the same size. It has been interesting to watch it go through that movement where it was like gigantic and then it progressively shrank. Yeah. And then it became the phones that you folded in half. Yep. And then it grew again. And then your phone was the size of an iPad. Yes. And now it's working its way towards smaller. Let me tell you this story. I swear to God, this is a real thing that happened to me. This is in the this is like somewhere between 2000 and 2000. No, somewhere between 1999 and 2003. That's when I was in college. But this is towards the latter half of that time. I'm standing in the hallway of my uh, university waiting for the door to the the door to the room was probably locked. We're probably waiting for the professor to show up. A phone rings. So like that's a normal occurrence. People were having cell phones like I had a f- cell phone when I went to college, like people had cell phones, but they weren't everywhere then. Like not everybody I went to school with had a cell phone. There's a woman pulls us pulls the phone, the ringing phone out of her purse. And I swear to God, Josh, she pulled out the Zach Morris phone. I swear to I swear scouts honor on all that is holy. She pulled out the Zach Morris phone and the all of us in the hallway were just like a gap. We, we, we didn't know what to do. We were like. First of all, who is this person that you have this phone that you've clearly had for 20? Yeah, I guess 20 years. And why did you never like? I, I don't know. It, it was it was it was quite literally mind blowing. I saw one in real life. It rang. She picked it up and spoke on it. And like it was never we never heard from her again. Like it was just like it was a it was an experience. Let me tell you. Well, the reason why you had never heard from her again was like Saved by the Bell. When anybody answers that phone, everybody freezes. Oh. She duped you. I forgot about the Zach Morris freeze time trick. Yep. You're right. I forgot all about that. Um, My first phone was the Nokia 3310. Oh, wow. I'm sending you a photo of it in the group chat. It is unbelievable that I ever owned this thing. Oh, okay. I don't think I had one of these. I had the bigger, you know, like the taller brick one. I don't think I had this phone per se. Huh. I'm sure if I looked back at Nokia phones from the late 90s to early 2000s era, I could find it. But what an era for cell phones. It was such a great phone to play Snake on. Oh, man. Snake is the Love only thing that. that this phone was worth. Love that. Okay. Before we get into flying cars, uh, I want to make one more note about phones. I'm having phone nostalgia jealousy right now because I'm watching the television program Ugly Betty and everybody has a Motorola Razor flip phone and I'm very jealous because I never actually never had a flip phone. Well, I never had the Razor flip phone. I had other kinds of fl- like phones and I'm sure they did other flippy things. But like everyone on this show has this phone. I'm like, man, I miss it. I don't know what that says about I me. I did have the Razor. In 2021, but I miss it. I did have the Razor flip phone. I had a silver one. I was not lucky enough to have one of the colored ones. And the one that I miss more than anything, and I would sell many, many of my possessions for them to bring it back, is I miss my BlackBerry. I miss the functional keyboard email options of a BlackBerry. The iPhone is great. It does many, many things. It will never be an email device the way that the BlackBerry was. I had the BlackBerry Pearl. I miss that phone. I love that phone. It was the wildest thing. I mean, like this obviously is very much in line with this episode, but it was the wildest thing when I could get email on my phone. I was like, oh man, this is game changing. Ah, okay. That's enough about cell phones, which is one of these things that we're talking about today. Um, But there is no shortage of documented flying cars in recorded history. And uh, you get to tell us about the first one. I actually didn't know that this was a thing until today. I mistakenly stumbled across this. I was like, I Googled first appearance of 
flying car in film. And what I got was first flying car. Here's a film of it. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess we'll talk about this. Um, after flight became kind of a thing, there was like a call from the government for people and designers and like creators to try to create a car version of that that was accessible. They wanted it to cost at that time. Know that like at that time it's significantly different price, but around $700. Um, and that's not $700 to buy. It was like $700 to create. Um, and so a inventor and he was known for inventing and creating things in the time. I, I can't tell you what he created, but his name was Waldo Waterman, which is the greatest superhero name of all time. That's a great name. Um, he invented a flying car and he did it in a manner where his concept was that unlike airplanes, he would make it so that there was no tail. He took the wings and he tilted them at more of an angle. Um, you would have to drive to the hangar and then people would slide the wings onto your vehicle. And he moved the rudder and the propeller into the back so that it wouldn't be in your way while you were using it as a car. Um, it worked. There's like, I, there's video footage of it working, which blows my mind because a, I didn't know there were flying cars in 1934 and B, I didn't know there was a video footage in 1934. Um, but they only made five of them at the time because at the time that they were making, they were successful. They were going great. Everybody's really excited about it. And then like many things, they slammed right into the Great Depression. And so there just wasn't a financial market for it. So it was just shelved. Um, but one of the original cars can be seen in the, I think it's Museum of Arid. Nautical. It's the big hangar at the Smithsonian that has all of the spaceships and shit in it. Um, that's the technical term. It's the hangar with the spaceships and shit in it owned by the Smithsonian, sponsored by Pepsi. Um, so if you want to see the car, it's there. I think that one's in that's in Arlington, right? You have to like cross over in Arlington, Virginia to go to the hangar where everything is. It's not in like D.C. proper. But Lucy's shaking no. her head. Everyone is to, saying no. I have me. I have been there and I believe it is in D.C. There's two. Oh. So there is a proper one in D.C. And then there is a second. It's a secondary um, facility, I think is what you're saying. Space museum. I see. Got it. I have been to I have stuff. been to one where they do have all of the flying or the airplanes hanging from. the Yeah, I've been to that one. That one, that yeah. one is in D.C. I do have a random uh, fun fact sliding in here because yeah, I decided to look up this gentleman. Um, he initially started the first aircraft that he built was called a biplane hang glider, um, which he built while he was still in high school. And he began testing it in 1910. Um, he actually ended up flying it himself and he broke both ankles. So... Amazing. It said from from what I could read that he um, could no longer test any of the other ones because of his broken ankles, but he did continue to build. And so what I'm hearing is that Waldo Waterman, which is, again, just the best name I've ever heard, is either a time traveler or an alien. Possibly both. It is possible that it is both. OK, so the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum is outside of D.C. It is actually in Chantilly, Virginia. And it is a bigger facility where they keep like larger huh. items that they can't necessarily keep within the smaller museum that has all the hanging things. And I say smaller museum like the goddamn space shuttle discovery isn't inside of it surrounded by 12 other rooms so well but that helps to put into perspective how large the other one is yeah 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 okay yeah. uh we're gonna have to take an untitled josh cast field trip to dc i think and do a smithsonian tour 
I we can't because I will cry. I cry every time I'm near that space shuttle. All right. OK, well, I'm in. I'll do it. Let's I'll go. bring the tissues. It's going to be fine. Um, OK, moving on. Uh, our next piece of technology is holograms, which, of course, was like a very much thing at Star Wars, both from like a communication standpoint, as well as just like how you would record digital media and then play it back as a hologram. Um, you know, this is something that is very much like, I don't want to say it's taken for granted, but it kind of is in science fiction because it's just like, it's easy to imagine this thing which doesn't exist. I, did, I was going to put in like video calls as also a thing, which was something that was about in fiction before it came about into real life. But this is also kind of part of it um, because in the like certainly in star wars and star trek and elsewhere holograms and video calling i'm like lumping those two things together certainly um certainly go together a little bit uh and now we have we have holograms for literally whatever you want for instance if you want to bring back a hologram of your dead wife's father for her birthday you can do that um as one kanye west did for kim kardashian um or if you want to do i'm trying to think they do like hologram music tours. They still do that. Is that still a thing in this year of 2021? Who knows? But they they definitely have in the past. Um, I mean, yeah, a couple, couple years ago, that's how Tupac. I think it was Tupac appeared at Coachella as oh, a hologram, is a hologram. Uh, but that's Chubbs the cat's purring, by the way, for all of you audio yeah. listeners at home. I, I don't know how to to I tried to turn down his volume. You can't. He's excited later to talk about his technological advances, including <laughs> the self-cleaning litter box and laser pointers. Um, well, this is a perfect segue into our next flying car. I assume. It is, except that Chubbs closed my window, so oh. it wasn't because <laughs> he wanted to talk about self-cleaning litter boxes and laser pointers. Um, so the first car I have listed, which is a fictional car and not a car that is either in D.C. or Virginia. Go over there, buddy. Is the car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So I don't know if anyone who is listening has seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I'm not going to lie to you. I have not seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I have seen it many, many times. I think that I've probably seen it. I recognize the car. There's a scene. They're driving down a hill. It goes. They go. They jump up. They all think they're going to die. And the car takes off and flies through the air. So I'll let Gersh, who knows a lot more about this, after I'm done rambling, talk to you in great detail about this fine American flick. But what I know is that the car from this movie had a three liter Ford V6 engine. The dashboard plates for the car were built out of a World War II British fighter plane, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm guessing that at some point in the movie, this car also becomes a boat because the vehicle's boat deck was made out of red and white cedar. So it does all of the things. It's basically kit from Knight Rider at this point. Um, but the thing that I found to be the most cool is it was owned for a long time by somebody. And in 2011, it went up for sale. It sold for a shit ton of money. I didn't write down how much, so we're going to call it a shit ton. Um, but it was bought by Lord of the Rings director, Peter Jackson, which is pretty cool. And he has since used it to go around and raise money for different charities. He'll put it on display. People will pay X amount of dollars to come in and see it. He'll take his hand and grab all of the money he collects and they'll hand it to a charity and then they'll move on to the next place by either flying the car or because it's also a boat boating the car to the next location. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang which came out in 1968. One of Dick Van Dyke's finest works. Let me tell you about this. This film, here's the parts of this which you will actually enjoy. Co-written co by Roald Dahl himself. Produced by Albert Broccoli, who produced the James Bond movies. 
based on the novel written by Ian Fleming, who created James Bond. That's who we're dealing with here in the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang cinematic universe. That's a lot of VIP name dropping. That's what there. I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Lose um, well before we move oh, on. Sorry, my apologies. Lucy has added some facts into the Google Doc. Oh. The auction price was expected to reach one to two million dollars, but capped at eight hundred thousand dollars. And again, apparently, Sir Peter Jackson won. I did not know that he was a sir. Um, apparently, there is a second road version, which appears in the film for 12 seconds, that can be seen in the Deezer Car Museum in Orlando, Florida, which is a really cool museum. I have never been, but I've watched countless YouTube videos about it because I am a goddamn nerd. Um there's a lot of other facts here that Lucy has listed. I don't think I'm going to say any of them, but know that you should Google Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Car. Here's the thing I just learned. People in New Zealand can be knighted just like people in England can. They have their own they have their own thing. In, two, in uh, 2010, Peter Jackson was knighted as a knight companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit. So that's where that's, he got his sir title. That is very, very interesting. Yeah, because I'm like, he's not British. He's uh, well, I thought he was Australian, but he's from New Zealand. Uh, but New Zealand has their own uh, knighthood thing. I had no idea. It's pretty cool. We're going to talk more about Ian Fleming later. I want to go on about that now, but we will have an opportunity. We sure will. All right. The next one I have on the list is uh, it's 3D printing, but not 3D printing of stuff, 3D printing of food. So in the Star Trek verse, again, the there's like food replicators where you can like literally go to the thing and you like pops out whatever kind of food you want. Um, this is also. I, uh, as we have progressed in our like more modern science fiction, this is something that has gotten a little bit farther along where, and, and, and also in real life, this has gotten farther along of taking basically like proteins and fats and acids, and then basically like just reforming them into whatever it is that you are looking for. Um, one of my favorite book series, uh, the expanse, uh, which is also a TV series, which I refuse to watch until the book series is done. Don't at me. Um, they have this thing where, if they have like, I can't remember what it's called, but it basically like just spits out proteins and other things in whatever shape you want. And then you like just add you like add sauce to it, which is essentially how food is going to work in the future anyway. Like there'll just be a machine that replicates proteins or carbs or whatever. And then you just add whatever you want to that to make it the closest like facts, the closest like uh, not facsimile. The closest thing to what you're trying to get. Um, I am I am very interested in this future of food. There are there. Are, I, I have no problem with like lab grown meat. I know some people do. I personally don't. I think if it's like better for if it is, in fact, better for the environment um, and better for like the long term sustainability of the planet, then I'm all for it. I don't have ethical issues with eating animals. Um, so like my interest in it is not as a replacement for eating animals but if it will help us from like not destroying the planet then i'm all for it i'm fine either way as long as soylent green is not people sure i mean like that's a very serious concern i think as long as we can avoid eating ourselves i think we're going to be fine um but yeah like I, like there are i have i mean just because like it's a thing I'm interested in. I have eaten a lot of these like meat substitutes or like meat alternatives. Uh, most of them taste pretty good. Now, for me, as somebody who has eaten meat my entire life, I know the difference, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Like I enjoy all these things. I know it's not the same thing, but if it means that like our planet won't explode, I'm like, OK, I'm happy to eat this instead of eating a cheeseburger. Yeah, totally fine. I don't mind Satan at all. Um your your food approach reminds me of the the tiny pizza hut pizza from back to the future <laughs> yes that they take out and they 
turn into a larger pizza. And one of the many characters that Michael J. Fox plays, who is his obnoxious son, just yells, I just want to put the whole thing in my mouth. And his dad hits him in the back of the head. And it's interesting to think that that could be, you know, the future. It very well could be. I think the the future of food science is really interesting to me, Um, of making food not necessarily cheaper, but like more accessible and more environmentally friendly and well, cheaper to cheaper to parts of the world that need like cheaper, more sustainable food Um, here in America. We have way too much of it. So like that's not our problem necessarily, but there are people that are hungry um, and we still have too much food. Like food, food inequality is a very real thing. Uh, if I hope we can solve that kind of problem with technology, because I would love technology to solve our problems. True. Um, so the next car that I have has nothing to do with food um, or technology, really. It's the Flying Ford. Is it Angelina? How do you say this? Oh, Anglia. Anglia? Let's go with Anglia. All right, we'll go with Anglia. Anyways, it is a blue flying car from... They made them from the 50s into the 60s. It was a real car. Um, The thing that is really cool about it, I was reading there were 16 on set, and one of them went missing. A fan of the books literally snuck on set and stole one of these cars. They found it abandoned in the woods later. I don't... I mean, apparently you just, it's not that easy to smuggle a car out of the wilderness. Let me just, let me just jump in and say, from Harry Potter, you left that part out. Oh, my bad. This is from Harry Potter. Um, it appeared in both the books and the movie. They It was the same model in the books. Um, the thing about the car is it was a normal car in the real world that was taken by Arthur Weasley and they added enchantments to it so that it could be invisible. It he installed a device called an invisibility booster and also he modified it so that it could fit eight people, six trunks, two owls, and a rat. It's if you see this car, it's hard to believe that that's possible because it's about the size of Herbie the love bug. It's like really quite small. So it's as much as I don't like giving her credit for anything because she's a fucking asshole. It's a really good presentation of having to use your imagination to picture people getting into this car clown car style. Uh, this is actually, um, it's a good segue and we'll come back to this note here. Cause that is fun into the, like the next thing on my list was at, was actually self-driving cars. And so like in the Harry Potter verse, you can enchant the car to fly you where I think you can do that. I'm just going to assume that that's a thing. You can just like wave your magic wand and the car will go where you want. But self-driving cars is another thing that um, was actually something that Isaac Asimov wrote about in the 60s um, and that like he had predicted that was going to be a thing by the by the 20 teens. And it like kind of is. We're not quite there yet to like fully autonomous self-driving cars. They there are some cars like Tesla's and I think others that have that capability, Um, but we're not quite up to this like you get in a car with no driver and it takes you wherever you want to go without having to do anything. For sure. Um, Via Lucy typing in my Google doc, apparently Liam from one direction owns one of these cars that was used in the movie and it sets in his garden. That's adorable. It's pretty wild. Apparently he is a massive fan. And it said in 2015 in an interview, he said, you know, that car from the Harry Potter movies, I have one. It's sitting in my garden. That's such like a baller move. You're like, you know that car? I go, I bought one. Um, Look, if I was Liam Payne, I would do that too. Just to be. Yeah. I mean, to to clarify, from what I've read in the in the article, it says his garden is a 1.5 million dollar garden, so or mansion yeah. that the garden is in. So you know. Yeah. Look, this is Liam Payne money change. we're talking about, right? This isn't yeah. untitled Josh Cast money. Like our garden is like the windowsill outside my window right here. Right. We're not fitting a 1950s Ford Anglia on that windowsill. No, we're definitely not. Um, 
you just spoke of self-driving cars and technology, and I think that this is the perfect transition into Lola, who is a, no disrespect to Prince, it's a little red Corvette from 1962 um, that uses, it's based on the design and technology developed by Howard Stark of Stark Enterprises. And you see glimpses of this in, I think it was Captain America. It's like the first hint that these things are coming when they're at the World's Fair. There's the prototype on stage that doesn't work, that falls to the ground. And he's like, I said, it was a prototype. Um, it appears much later in S.H.I.E.L.D. where I've lost the agent. It was in here. It's not in here now. One of the agents is driving it. Um, around there's also a version of it that is an SUV that is later used by Samuel L. Jackson, but because of the battles, the flight capabilities have been destroyed. Um, in the original comic book version of these things, uh, it was a Porsche 904 and it was yellow. It wasn't a Corvette, but it exists. It's interesting. I was reading articles where people were asking for it to appear in films and then it finally did. Like the articles were old enough that they hadn't like done the, the shield stuff yet. And so fans were pretty exciting. I can't say that Lucy, you can go ahead. I'm going to fuck up that name. The car belonged to agent Colson. So it was cool to watch it go full, full circle, though, like seeing that, like they hinted at it in one of the early films. And then finally they brought it into play mm -hmm. much later. Well, uh, this is a good segue. I moved one around here because I do have a Marvel Comics connection, which is like a real life Iron Man suit. So Iron Man is an invention of Marvel Comics, I assume, from the 60s. That sounds right to me. But the U.S. military developed something called the Talos program that started in 2013 with the design, like with their their eyes on making like an iron, making like their own Iron Man suit, essentially, that like a man could go in a thing and fly around and shoot stuff and do all kinds of things. Um, now, th this is one of like the most famous examples of like the suspension of disbelief you have to have in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when you see a man flying around in a big metal suit. Um because of like the power consumption and like, you know, gravity and other laws of physics that are broken and otherwise defied while flying around in this kind of suit. Um, according to Wikipedia, the program was ended in 2019. Now I say that because who doesn't love a good military conspiracy theory? You know, there's some people working on Iron Man suits somewhere in a basement somewhere. Well, while it's not an Iron Man suit, I think that this is a perfect opportunity for you and I to nerd out about the dude that rode the thing up to the stratosphere in the Red Bull thing and jumped out of it. Oh, yeah, in the balloon. Yeah, that was wild. And literally parachuted back to Earth from the edge of space. That was nice. I have never been so glued to a video fearing that a man is going to die as I was in that moment. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, that was he had to, he the suit he wore was very similar to what the SpaceX astronauts ended up wearing last year when they in their in their first um like man space. It was like this super crazy, like futuristic spacesuit looking thing. Um, but you know, if you're gonna strap yourself to a balloon and ride up into the stratosphere, you need some kind of suit for that. I don't particularly have a transition for that. So I'm just gonna throw out that while I have no facts and no information on this whatsoever. This list would not be complete without the magic school bus. It's great. You also, we have to talk about we have to talk about the the redesign of Miss Frizzle and how no. uh, disappointing it is. We should not talk about that. I'll get heated. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's terrible. How could it's they do? Good. How could they do Frizzle like that? It's not good. They can't. It's not, it's not all right. Good. Um. All right. The next one I have on this list here is virtual reality. Uh, the one of the this is probably. Probably examples of it elsewhere, but the first one that I can think of, of uh, like virtual reality as a 
big thing was in Tron in 1982. I feel like it was 1982 where um, people entered this virtual world and then like ride around on crazy light cycles and do other kind of crazy shit. But virtual reality nowadays, it's still not doesn't quite have the like universal adoption that VR advocates would like it to have Um, there. It's still very much seen as just like a gimmick or like side technology, even in the video game space where this is this get out. uh, Probably the majority of instances are in the video game space, Um, whether it's like PlayStation has their own VR thing or there's a couple of different like PC VR headsets and and sets of software and things like that. Um, But the capabilities for virtual reality are exist well beyond what you can do in a video game. Um, you know, Ready Player One, for all of its faults, and there are many, is a good example of that, where in Ready Player One, the Oasis is an entire virtual reality world. Um, That's something that's very interesting to me as somebody who, like, gets motion sickness and doesn't want to be jumping around and all kinds of stuff messing with my brain. But, like, if I could put on a headset and, like, travel somewhere or, like, see a concert or just like be in a, like inhabit a space that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. That's like where the future of VR is really exciting. Um, but it's going to like, it's going to take an enormous amount of money, uh, and like just a crazy investment in order to like push the medium of VR forward enough to where it becomes practical and economical and affordable to like produce as well as for people to own and like take it, take advantage of. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Be cool. Um, because there's just like so much stuff that you can do. And that, that like, there are so many, there's so much opportunity for VR. Uh, I would love for us to have like universal VR capabilities. Um, but we'll see. Just something interesting. It always pops up. It's like getting, it gets a little bit farther along with every new thing. And like the video game space, again, where this is so popular, uh, where or where this is the most popular, the most used anyway, it's it's pushing the medium along. um, But it's going to take like it's going to take something else to get to get closer to like some kind of universal adoption of it. I haven't experienced a lot of it, but I will say that the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my entire life as a person who does not get scared at zombie video games, like I love Left 4 Dead, I love all of those things. Resident Evil VR was one of the most terrifying things I have ever experienced. Like, it's a jump scare game anyway, and then it's a jump scare game in your face. Like, the way that it enhanced that game in a way that, like, puts you in the game yeah. is really, really scary. Yeah, and I don't play those games, and I definitely don't play them in VR. But that's a, 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 like another good usage of it, of it's making an experience that's already immersive that much more immersive. Okay, um, back to you, uh, and another and another flying car. Yeah, so I guess the one that. I think we should go with next is probably I skipped over some things, but to transition from VR into, you know, uh, a movie that had VR you saw. um, And also to go with like the things that you've said that like has been predicted um, back to the future actually has done a lot of these things where you have the DeLorean in this car, but to tie into your VR, like, they had the glasses that you pulled down and you could like interact with everything around you. And also um, it kind of, in a lot of ways, as well as many, many other things, predicted things FaceTime where like you see him get fired via the video screen and like the flat screens, dual screen. There's all sorts of shit. I could talk about this. We've already done like 17 episodes of Back to the Future, so we don't have to do this right now. But the I the thing that I found the most interesting about this and like probably honestly in flying cars, the most famous pop culture flying car is probably the DeLorean and Back to the Future. But I found it fascinating and I didn't know this before today. The original idea for the movie didn't include a car at all. They were going to have 
Doc and Marty travel through a refrigerator. That's wild. Um, the original script was really obsessed with this idea to the point that you see it pop up, like the refrigerator concept pop up later in another film that's connected to Spielberg. And that is the one we don't talk about. Yes. Yes. That, that moment where he survives the atomic blast in the, in the refrigerator. Um, so they clearly couldn't let the idea go. Um, early scripts of the film actually didn't have a DeLorean as the part they had it set as a Ford Mustang, which I think would have been a completely different movie as well. Um, the whole lore around DeLorean and what a shitty business it was and what a shitty businessman he was, I think has in some ways made the film better because it's not a car that you commonly see on the road. So it does seem like a futuristic time machine. Um, as of right now, there are only about 6,000 of them still in existence. They're not cheap. If you see them, um, despite the film focusing on 88 miles an hour, there wasn't even an 88 miles an hour on the speedometer. The car is not a fast car. It does not go fast at all. Um, they destroyed a bunch of them while they were filming them. Like one of them clearly got run over by a train. The one that was the most used set on the universal lot forever and just kind of like rats fucking ate it and shit. Like you would think that you would take care of this car, but they just, they didn't, they just let it fall apart. So once somebody discovered that it was there and like shit had happened, like the flux capacitor had been chewed through, um, they wanted to restore it and they reached out to fans who had created their own and had them come in and help restore the car. And you can see the one that is the most used DeLorean, not, I mean, there's two that they used a lot. One of them right now is in the, in the Hollywood museum. It's the one that's actually owned by, um, Zemeckis. The other one is the one that was found on the Universal lot. It is at the Peterson um, Automotive Museum, which is pretty cool because it like sets next to like Batmobiles and Blade Runner cars. And like it's a really cool museum. Um, And then there's a third one that isn't. It's like at this point, it's like 95 percent not an original DeLorean because they've had to replace so much. And it sets outside at Universal next to the flying train so it's it's interesting to me that like there were so many different things that could have been tweaked about what i believe to be the most famous like flying car in pop culture and it was almost the you know flying car that wasn't it was almost the flying refrigerator which is almost as weird as having a flying phone booth well the flying phone booth predates the flying refrigerator but what i think is hilarious about that is that the flying refrigerator sounds like a Rick and Morty gag, which is like the ultimate meta joke about this being the time machine. It is really funny that it it could be lifted that way. Um, I'm going to have to go to the Peterson Automotive Museum the next time I'm in Southern California. This place looks really cool. It does look cool. I was checking it out today. You should also look at the Hollywood Museum. It has a lot of cool stuff on display, too. I will do that. Uh, All right. Um, but yes, so you were right about Back to the Future having a lot of these tech things too. the video calling the, um, the like heads up display thing that we, we aren't quite there yet. Sorry, Google Glass never quite caught on with. Um, but those are the kinds of things that, uh, um, that movie was really good at predicting, um, a 20, oh my God, was it 2015? I can't even remember. No, 2035. I can't remember. What year did they, where do they go to in Back to the Future 2? I think it's 2015. It's 2015, right? Um, but like predicting that in the 80s uh, was a, was very much like the kind of exercise that we're doing now of like looking back and all these things that existed in like the 60s and 70s and 80s and, and what they were predicted. Um, and they were only one year off in predicting the Cubs winning the World Series. That's wild. Wild. Um, OK, uh, a couple I have I have a bunch more for you here. Um, I want to do a couple here at once because they're smaller ones. Um, but two things that like people have on their persons 
all the uh, every day smartwatches and earbuds. So smartwatches was like a very famously uh, made famous by Dick Tracy in the 60s. He had like his communicator on his watch and like talk to all kinds of people. Um, and obviously we have the Apple Watch and so many others. But earbuds goes back even farther. This is something that I didn't that I didn't know until looking this up in Fahrenheit 451, which was written in the 50s. Um, Ray Bradbury uh basically like envisions what future wireless earbuds would be about like these devices that you would like listen to things that were just like in your ear or uh, like connected to your head or whatever. Um, but I thought that was really, that was really fascinating for something that's like so socially conscious, a, a, um, a book about book burning the, to have like, to also be like very tech, uh, very like, tech prognostication about this too. I thought it was really fascinating. Um, that's one of my favorite books of all time. He actually also predicts um, giant flat screens and the use of advertising and entertainment to suppress people actually living their lives through the use of the flat screens hmm. and the screens collecting information about these people to be able to market to them better to suppress them. So he also kind of predicted uh, data collection through technology. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. There was a, did you see that movie from a couple of years ago that was on HBO with Michael B. Jordan, the Fahrenheit 451 adaptation? Nope. I avoided it because it's one of my favorite books of all time. And I was scared that I was going to hate it. Yeah. Don't, don't watch then. Okay. Um, I believe you were going to go again. I just did too, but I'm happy to go again because the next one um, is another fun, another fun one. And it has to do with uh, missions to the moon. So uh, Jules Verne like, wrote all kinds of cr fun, uh, fun adventures and like inventing technology that didn't exist in the 18 in the mid 18th, uh, the mid 19th century, the mid 1800s when he was writing all these things. But one of them was this um, mission to the moon that he devised. And the, the, my, the fun connection here is that 100 years later, when NASA would go to the moon, there's similarities between NASA's Mercury rockets um, and like Jules Verne's designs so much so that like NASA acknowledged that those things, that there was a similarity there that like Jules Verne was onto something in the kinds of vehicles and the kinds of like rockets that they would have to build in order to get into outer space, which I think is just really cool. It is really cool. There's a scene in back to the future three where doc gets drunk and he's talking to the school teacher, Clara, who he's got, a crush on and he's like talking in extent about like being from the future and space travel and all of these things and she's like yeah i've read jules burn also <laughs> yeah. and it's it's pretty funny how they make you know a joke about it um so the next two i'm not really going to talk a lot about in great detail but their cars worth mentioning i found it fascinating that the absent-minded professor it's another model t that they use he uses flubber flubber makes the car fly all of the things um the thing that i found fascinating was there were scenes where they were driving the car there were real cars that were used i didn't know that the flying version of the car was made out of wooden paper mache so i thought the way that they designed the fake car was pretty cool um, and then the other one that I have, I mean, I have a bunch below that are worth mentioning that I didn't find cool facts about, but Ian Fleming came up earlier. We were talking about um, James Bond, Man with the Golden Gun. There is a car in that film. It is a, I've lost what car it is. I'll look that up in a second. Anyways, oh, it's a, it's a Matador. They used a matador. They put wings on it. He uses the car to fly. Um, it's based on a real life concept that a flying car was being developed. And it was originally supposed to appear in the film. It was a miser, but it was scrapped because while they were testing the car, the creators were both killed and Ian Fleming and company decided it might not be the best idea for James Bond to be associated with 
the failed car. So they basically just strapped their own wings on honest to God. It looks like a gremlin (laughs) and shot him into the air, which is the most James Bond thing I've ever heard. Um, Not related in any way, but one of my favorite memories is I got to go to GoldenEye in Jamaica for a day, which is where he wrote all of these books. It's like this little off the beaten path, like land that he owned and he built like this resort there. And you can just, you can get a day pass and go. It's, it's pretty cool. And, and you can see a lot of the James Bond like influence in it where like he was like, it was clearly his creative space. That's very cool. All right. I've got one more real one here and then it's fun conspiracy theory time but the real one is um antidepressants so uh aldous huxley wrote a little book called brave new world in the 1930s and in this book there is this pill it's called soma which you can take and this is um in the book like you take this pill and it like it calms you down and it like relieves a sort of like symptoms and things but um it there really wasn't any kind of study between like the chemicals in your brain or that there were chemicals in your brain for that matter that would affect things like anxiety and depression and things like that. Um, So this is just like a really, it was a really interesting thing that happened, you know, decades before it was actually a part of medical science um, that you could take a pill that would affect something in your body in, in ways that like weren't, you know, Tylenol. It's crazy to go back and read old dystopia and old science fiction and just like see what they got right. I guess that's true of watching it too, but like it's one of my favorite things to to do is just like check the boxes of like prediction bingo mm-hmm. in the science fiction genres. Um, I will kick off the conspiracy theory fan fiction route that we're about to go down here. Um, mine is going to be way less cool than yours, but I didn't feel like we could do a list about flying cars without including Danny Zucco's 1948 Ford Deluxe from Greece that for no reason whatsoever turned into a flying car. Um, this situation sparked a bunch of fan theories. Um, if you remember when they're singing Summer Lovin', Um, They talk about how Sandy almost almost drowned. And so fan theories are that in reality, she did drown. And while fighting to get oxygen to her brain, the entire film is a vivid coma fantasy. And the flying car is the representation of that. That's wild. Um. I don't know what to do with that. I had not heard that one before, but it's that true. is a very interesting theory. We could do a whole podcast on fan theories. There's some crazy shit out there. The The cool thing about that is from what I could see, it looks like the director has said that that is not true, but said that there is a story behind it, but hasn't said what it is and that he's waiting. I think until he releases a book and then he'll, share what the actual meaning is but john travolta talked about it in an interview when uh this exploded a few years back and he was like yeah i'm all for this theory like it's really cool that people have come up with this and he just thinks it's really cool well to be fair john travolta is into fiction hashtag scientology Thank you. That was going to be my only addition to the entire episode was John Travolta is not our baseline for anything rational. I mean, I wasn't necessarily trying to say that it was rational. I just think that the theory is an interesting one. So the fact that somebody who was in the movie was like, this is cool. is just, it's fun. Okay. So, um, we also can't talk about flying cars without talking about the Jetsons and the technology of the Jetsons in the eight from from the 1980s. Um, there's a lot of those things that that exist or that don't exist, namely tubes to move around in and things like that. Um, but while we're not going to talk about the flying cars and the Jetsons, I do want to talk about my favorite cartoon conspiracy theory. And that is it's well known. It's an established fact that the Flintstones and the Jetsons exist in a shared universe. 
right? There was a whole crossover episode, the Flintstones meet the Jetsons or the Jetsons meet the Flintstones. I don't remember what the order is, but like, it's a thing. But my favorite, like, conspiracy theory about this is that not only do they exist in the same universe, these two shows happen at the same time. That at some point there was like society evolved, technology advanced to the point where there could be cities in the sky and there was that level of technology. But then on the ground, there was like some nuclear winter apocalyptic event, which set like civilization back thousands of years. And so the people in the sky are continue, they continue to like live in the sky in this like utopia that they've created, um, never dealing with the fallout, the literal fallout of the nuclear wasteland below. Meanwhile, over the centuries, the people down below are now living in like this stone age society without technology. And that the reason that there are dinosaurs is because they have been like mutated out of animals that existed during like whatever quote unquote regular society existed at the time. So that's how we have like people and dinosaurs existing at the same time. So like whenever you're watching the Jetsons and you see them, people flying around in the clouds, you never see the ground. The ground is the Flintstones. There, I said it. That is, that is wild. Thank you. Thank you very much. And even with that theory, it does not make the Jetsons one of the weirdest cartoons of the 70s and the 80s. Uh, no, sure doesn't. We we uh, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we've um, covered that ground. <laughs> uh, OK. Anything else you want to add? I mean, I feel like we can't really wrap this without giving a shout out to Fifth Element. Sure. To Blade Runner. To Total Recall. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about Total Recall. And to Star Wars. We talked about Star Wars a little bit. Yeah, we got to We got to give their cars a nod. True, that's true. Um, I believe that we can probably give Batman some love. There's some elements of flying cars in there. Sure. I'm sure I'm missing things, but let's let's go with that. Let's stick right there. I'd like to give love to the Magic School Bus again. And while we're on the topic, for no reason whatsoever, I want to say hello to Wishbone. <laughs> Um, wonderful. I think that is that about sums it up. Uh, this is one of the things that I always enjoy about science fiction, about like imagining things that don't exist yet or imagining things that almost exist yet or almost exist yet that almost exist. Um, whether Lucy, I saw that face you made. I, I saw that. Uh, whether it's something that's like really close or whether it's something that's a little bit farther off, like flying cars. We're, we're not we're not quite close enough to flying cars yet, unfortunately. But this is always fun. Um, the common through line is uh, to make it up and then just build it in later. Like, I think that's something that's really like popular for good and for better or for worse in, in like in fiction um, is if it doesn't exist, you just make it up. And then it, you know, you just then you then you have made it exist in the universe that you are talking about. And sometimes that's OK. And sometimes it's just like, well, that's convenient. But that's also how movies work. Movies wouldn't be movies without a little movie magic. Uh, that's for sure. OK, that's enough rambling for me. Uh, this has been a lot of fun to talk about. Flying cars and other things that don't exist yet uh, and other things that do exist. Um, all right. That's going to do it. You, I need like a I need like a I need like a like a red light to come on to tell me to shut up when I'm trying to close out an episode. So we're going to have to thank you. So we're going to have to build that in to our process here. Um, I think technically that's supposed to be my job to tell you, but I got distracted and I went to watch wishbone videos. That's totally fine. All right. That's going to do it for us. Um, we'll see you next time. Beep, beep, boop, boop. Goodbye. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts and or follow on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you happen to listen. Those things would really help us out. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at JoshCastPod and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash untitled joshcast. This show is written and hosted by me, Josh Gershman, and Josh Hammond. It is edited by me, 
and it is produced by Isabella Stade and Lucy Benetti. The podcast intro music is Gemini by Alki, and the outro music is Cautious by Amorosa. Both appear on the Untitled Joshcast with permission from the artists. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Untitled Joshcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Oh, I got to be cautious.